Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Marinero, welcome everyone on this Wednesday, June 14. It's just past 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Marinero, the sick podcast, weeknights at 10 p.m. And you're watching right now on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Twitter Live. And the sick podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, recently named by Deloitte and CIBC of one of Canada's best managed companies, the country's leading business award recognizing innovative and world-class companies, the best managed Canadian companies designation fuels energy's purpose of creating progress for their customers, their employees, and their communities. Join a winning team and check out energy's career page for available opportunities. Also brought to you in part by La Beta TV, brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards. La Beta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Beta TV, embrace your true nature. And also brought to you in part by playground experience the world-renowned poker experience with free food and drinks at their cash game tables a bad beat jackpot approaching 1.8 million dollars weekly promotions daily tournaments and unmatched customer service why play anywhere else play at playground all right uh yesterday was a very very busy day in the montreal canadians world unfortunately it wasn't a good day for two gentlemen in particular um, I had the the unfortunate responsibility of announcing that uh, Donald Bomforth, head physio of the Montreal Canadiens, and Graham Reinben, the head athletic therapist of the Montreal Canadiens, had been relieved of their duties, an information that the Montreal Canadiens did confirm to members of the media um, shortly after that, that that was indeed the case. And in Graham Reinbin's case, I mean, he's been with the Montreal Canadiens for over 25 years in the same role now for the last 19 years, and we wish those gentlemen well. So I put the tweet out there, and I got a lot of response to the tweet, one of which was former Montreal Canadian Craig Rivet talking about how Graham Reinbin is one of the, the you know, the 
the best people that he actually came across and talked about him as such a good person and, uh, and a good professional. And there was another tweet that caught my attention. And it was a tweet that said, you know, um, uh, two classy people, two good gentlemen, unfortunately, uh, you know, a victim of the times. And that tweet came courtesy of Scott Livingston. For those of you who are unaware, well, Scott Livingston is one of the best master performance coaches uh, in the, in, uh, I would say in Canada, for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll go that far because he, he's worked with our pro athletes. He's worked with our amateur athletes. He's worked with Olympic athletes. He has 11 years of experience in the national hockey league. One week, uh, one year with the New York Islanders, two years with the New York Rangers and actually eight years with the Montreal Canadians. And he left the Montreal Canadians where he was uh, the lead strength and conditioning coach and an assistant athletic therapist. He left them years ago, uh, to open up his own center, uh, Reconditioning HQ and ReconditioningHQ.com is the website. Without further ado, I bring him in, Scott Livingston. Good evening. How are you, Scott? Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, nice to be here. Maybe not under these circumstances, but uh, you're right. Yeah, very much appreciated having the chance to chat with you. We've we've chatted before in the past, and uh, it's it's good to see your face. And we haven't chatted all that much as of late. But once again, your tweet caught my attention yesterday when I said, "Oh wow, look, Scott Livingston, wishing them well. What a class act!" Not surprised by that, Scott. Uh, and you know what? I thought about it, and I said, "You know what? Here's a good opportunity to reach out to Scott because uh, this business that is strength and conditioning and physio and rest, recovery, repair, all this stuff. I mean, so many terms that I don't know that uh, I, I turn to the experts like your stuff, like yourself, and I know you're going to educate me today. This is a very, very evolving world, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Sports science is evolving. Some would say very rapidly." as are some of these medicine departments. So who else to talk to other than Scott Livingston? So I have you on. Thanks for doing this. Scott, can you talk to me about what the industry was like when you were working in the National Hockey League and how much it's evolved and what it should look like now? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of ironic that you reached out to me because I came back from um, Florida – about a week and a half ago, and I actually bumped into Larry Robinson. And was oh, that right? And I knew Larry from my days with the the Habs, and had chatted with him a couple of times. So I said hello to him. We started talking, and he's living in Sarasota, I believe. Yeah, and sure, he was right? coming back for a charity golf uh, event or something, and we were just chatting for a bit. And, and we didn't chat about this subject, but the irony is that you know, back when you look at what how the industry has changed in the last forty years since Larry played. Um, it's, it's really dramatic and 40 years, 45 years is not really a long period of time, but the whole industry of sports science and and performance and sports medicine really has, has grown up in the time from which Larry was playing till now. And in those days you had one head trainer and you had one equipment manager, you know, back with the Canadians and you might have a couple other guys who were hanging around the room and helping out. And even those guys weren't highly necessarily highly educated at the time they weren't the guys who were um necessarily the you know um going to university getting master's degrees and phds and all these other things um they were guys who really loved the sport 
And over time, what happened, you saw through the 80s, obviously, the, the Russians were beating us in hockey and all of a sudden physiologists got hired and these physiologists had to come in and test guys and figure out what their VO2 max was and their training capacity was. And all of a sudden, through the 80s, people started to train to play hockey. Um, and that began this, this powerful support mechanism around performance sport. This was happening in all the major sports. It was happening in football, it was happening in baseball, it was happening in hockey. And truthfully, hockey and baseball were a little bit slower to upgrade than football and maybe basketball to a degree over time. So through the 80s, you started to see, well, teams would have an assistant therapist and maybe they'd start to hire, you know, um, more equipment managers. And so the team grouping started to grow a little bit. Then in the 90s, when I found myself hired by, by professional sports teams, you were starting to see in the NHL, they were starting to engage the strength conditioning position. And ironically, I was one of the first strength conditioning coaches in Canada at a university in the States that had sort of really spooled up probably 15, 20 years earlier in the NCAA. But even in professional sport, it was just kind of coming on vogue as well. And so through the 90s, teams were hiring people. And one of the funny things was in hockey, there weren't a lot of guys with hockey experience. So a lot of teams were hiring people who were had a football background. And um, the funny thing, when I first got my job, the reason I got my job with the New York Islanders, I was told was I was the only guy of 16 people they'd interviewed who could skate. <laughs> so oh, wow. I go down to New York and I take this job, right? And I'm really at the beginnings of of the the industry of hockey, hiring performance coaches, strength conditioning coaches. Segue forward a little longer, and all of a sudden, I you know I leave the the league, and as I'm leaving the league in 2009 of my own volition. Uh, I've done a whole bunch of things with the team. And if we go back a little bit too, one of the reasons that I got hired by the Montreal Canadiens at the time, if you actually recall, they had two or three years in a row of over 500 man games lost. This would have been like 98, 99, 2000. I remember that. And they, um, you know, they were making some changes. They'd done a big external audit. Uh, George Gillette had brought some people in that he knew from Vail, Colorado to look at the performance department. And one of the big recommendations was you needed a certified strength conditioning coach. You needed somebody with more capacity in that area, et cetera, education. So you started to see this educational upramp of the demand of these positions. And I brought, I came in and, and, we as a team worked together and I actually had history with Graham and the other guys in the team and we worked really well together. And during that time, we actually reduced the man games lost over that period of time to about 150 on average per year until I left in 2009. But wow, after, that's, a, that's a great number. Wow. Yeah. So after I left, um, what you start to see in the league was teams started to hire more professionals in these different roles so we're you, you start to see nutrition practitioners getting hired mental performance prof professionals getting hired uh an assistant strength and conditioning coach i had hired a strength and conditioning coach for the team in hamilton at the time and so you start to see these bigger and bigger teams and i kind of analogize this to you know you living in a house and so you add a garage and you do a reno of the basement and maybe you you know you add another story and you add all these different things to your house but there's not really a grand plan. <laughs> it's kind of like you're doing this ad hoc. You're putting these things in. And so that's kind of what was happening through those years was, oh, we need an assistant strength coach. We need an assistant therapist. And you'd bring these people in and you'd kind of plug them into this environment. 
But the problem is when you start plugging them into this environment is there's not necessarily an inferred leadership process. The performance department kind of grows on its own and the medical department kind of grows on its own. And in the industry at large, there's already sort of an understanding that those two departments don't necessarily always get along. They don't always see eye to eye. You know, it's so funny you say this because one of the questions that I was going to ask you was, how do you make sure that there's not a disconnect between the strength and conditioning and maybe the, the athletic therapists, because they probably each want to push their own thing. Now talk to me about that. And, and what I'm thinking from the outside is, aren't we making this maybe more complex than it should be? Because without having any experience in this whatsoever, what I see in my head is I see what should be an umbrella with someone at the top and then everything just branches out into different departments. But ultimately it's all under the supervision of one person that oversees an entire department. Is that the way it should be run or not? Enlighten me. Ultimately, yes. And that's what you're starting to see organizations do now um, in different sports. And so, um, you know, it started in uh, actually probably internationally at the uh, and international rugby and some of the, the big rugby teams and, and professional football slash soccer teams. Uh, you started to see this this position that's sub, sometimes called the uh, sports science and medicine director, the VP of sports science and sports medicine. You know, they have all kinds of different, uh, you know, titles and uh, allocations to that position. But again, what's tended to happen is um, you have this kind of um, ad hoc process of of kind of adding on and go, oh, we have to hire somebody in this position. And there's a little bit of an arms race in the industry to a degree, too. So you, you bring in your sports science guy who maybe has some affinity for m load monitoring and all kinds of all the data processing and data science is becoming a huge part in pro, pro sports as well. Looking at the data, understanding what's happening with the athletes. And we can go into some of that in the background as well. But yeah, you need and that's why over time people have started to recognize that you've got a lot of players and not necessarily one person who understands the whole thing and how to bring all these people together, get them culturally and um, scientifically and intellectually on the same page um, because they all come from sort of disparate backgrounds. They all have different focuses and different goals in some ways. And the irony of the narrative between the medical department and the performance department is the medical department want, really fundamentally wants to help the athlete perform by ultimately protecting them, making sure that they're not going to get injured. And the performance department wants to see the athlete perform by overreaching. So they have a different kind of background narrative and they have a different educational process. So they don't necessarily speak the same language or actually see a problem from the same perspective. So you need somebody who understands those, both of them to say, Hey, you need to back off right now. You need to push forward and, and sort of orchestrate that orchestra of different sounds. Otherwise, the sound is going to be kind of terrible, so to speak. And the funny thing about your call to me, you know, it's it's um, the, the day after the Knights won the Stanley Cup. And the irony of the Knights is, yes, they have done, you know, they they had a special situation where 
you know, they came in as a new organization. They they've had a white canvas to build this organization. They went out and they acquired their talent and then made other acquisition decisions and really had a plan for what they wanted to achieve inside of six years. But at the same time, maybe what is not known so well is they hired a guy named Jay Millette. Uh-huh. They actually ran Cirque du Soleil, those, right? Jay Millette. Those two guys ran, that guy ran the performance and medicine department for the Cirque du Soleil for a number of years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And they brought him in and they gave him a white canvas to build his performance team. So you basically, instead of doing the renovation job that I talked about before, he got to build his house from scratch. How was he going to bring principal players in? What kind of culture did he want? How did he want all these people to work together? And and he could sort of set the table and the tone for how that was going to run. And so I think part of the reason you've seen the Knights have the success that they've had is the front office part of it and the things that they're doing to organize and, and acquire and, and, and get their, their athlete assets. But the other part of it is the asset athlete asset management, the human capital management. And on top of that, the human capital development of your performance team, how is everybody developing so that you have the highest level of performance people who all speak to each other together. Okay. How athletes train over the years, this too has evolved. And I've talked to so many different people and um, everyone has a different theory and everyone's got a different answer. Uh, I, I know of, of people who have said that they want their athletes to train their upper body so they get bigger. I know some who have said they don't think putting on more weight on the upper body uh, than on the lower body is a good idea because then it's too much strain on the knees and the joints and all that stuff. I know others who have said that what's important is core training, having a very, very tight core and very, very strong legs, and your legs are your engine, and and that's how you explode. I've had uh, others in the past who have said that what's important is the cardio and the VO2 max. I've had others who have said that nowadays that they believe a lot in uh, in uh, Pilates and in yoga and, and practices like this. How much has training changed, like off-season trained, uh, training changed uh, over the last 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years? And is there a right answer of what an athlete playing a pro sport like hockey, what kind of training they should be doing? Is there one answer? <laughs> well, I think that there's, um, I think it's a little less gray than than y- you would probably believe at this point, because there's been a lot of research done and a lot of uh, high level sharing and, and people kind of uh, contributing to the overall development of of hockey players over the last 30 years. I, I think if you went back 30 years ago, uh, sort of when I was starting, um, it was a little bit more disparate. But now I think 
there's some clarity on what it takes to to prepare to play the game of hockey. We've gone through this era of where VO2 max was the focus and and that got de-emphasized. I mean, it's still an important part of the game, but we looked at speed and power and explosiveness and agility, which really are all the component parts of being a hockey player. Ironically, as I said earlier, when hockey was first introducing strength conditioning, you had a lot of people come into the sport who were football background and they would train hockey players like football players. And really the difference between football and hockey is football is probably like 30% skill, 70% performance. And I don't mean to diminish the skill of the game. And obviously there are different positions that are more skill centric, but hockey is probably 80% skill, 20% physical. I mean, there's a physical acumen to the sport but if Uh you can't handle a puck and you can't skate and you can't make a pass and you can't shoot you're not going to be a very good hockey player so the physical element of hockey is very important and it has been augmented by all of the people like myself who've been in the industry but it also is coupled with how you know they take care of themselves in all the other dimensions I think the biggest thing that you've seen over time now, Tony, is just how and when hockey players train. And you've gone from they didn't train at all. Like <laughs> I remember when I was a kid at university and I went to the, the to the library and I pulled out Phil and Tony Esposito's How to Train for Hockey book. And this book basically uh, – was a chapter about, you know, playing golf all summer and then, you know, start running about a week before training camp and uh-huh. then start training camp and, you know, get bag skated. So over time, that's obviously changed. But now what, what you, what you see is the off season is when athletes, hockey athletes prepare to be hockey fit. They get in shape. They work with their private professionals in their own hometowns, sometimes overseen by the organization, et cetera. Let's understand that the collective bargaining agreement basically effectively says a player is not sort of owned by their team after April 15th and and not again until camp opens. So the player has their unique decision-making around where they want to train, who they want to train with, and they go back and they work out with people. But they're probably given a program by – uh, you know, the, the strength and conditioning yeah. team of, of, of the team, right? Most organizations or all organizations will have a, a formatted strategy around how they want their athletes to train. Scott, really- but pardon me, is it possible that the, the, the professional that they train with in the off season in their hometown says, your guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This is not the program that we're going to do. We're going to do another program because this is much better for you. Trust me. Is that possible? Yeah, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Wow. All the time. And, 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 and unfortunately, the people who are at the NHL level, part of their role, fortunately or unfortunately, is also the diplomacy of interaction with people that these guys are working with. It's, it's actually building relationships. Not only are you building relationships with the athletes and creating a trust dimension, but you're also trying to work with the people that they train with. And sometimes you're going to run into somebody who doesn't want any, anything to do with you. And sometimes you're going to run into people who do, who are willing to work with you. And, you know, so you know, principally the person at the, uh, at the, the NHL level, and this comes to another thing that I think is important to sort of recognize in the, in the change uh, of the game is the person at the NHL level, their fundamental role is both keeping athletes fit, but also working with the medical staff to bring athletes back to, to the game after they've been injured. 
called in the industry return to performance or return to play. And so their understanding, their acumen around the medical construct is really important. And this is why you're starting to see more organizations. And that, that's one of the things that my wife and I teach is reconditioning, which is the the bringing together of those two things and pro providing an, uh, an actual working language and a working strategy for return to performance. And you're seeing teams hire more and more people under the name of reconditioning pr practitioner, performance therapist, uh, return to play specialist, et cetera. That's kind of a new role in a lot of organizations because it requires a certain acumen, a pure, and this is not to down on my brethren in strength conditioning, but a pure strength conditioning coach doesn't necessarily have that, that knowledge. And, and yet in the season itself, that's a high demand acumen because you you are constantly dealing with players who are somewhere in an injury continuum, managing stuff they had before, managing new things, coming back from something, but -da -da -da, you've got to be able to take care of those things. So that's why we're seeing teams engage these guys. So going back to my first point, we're seeing all these different kinds of professionals engaged with different capacities. You still need somebody who understands everybody's role to manage them and make sure they're not overdoing, underdoing, no. focusing on the right things. Scott, these players have pro contracts, obviously. Some of them are probably in the middle of their contracts, but it's a pride thing. They want to play and they want to perform. Others want to play because, you know what, they want to help their team win as many games as possible and make the playoffs. Others are in their last season of their of their contract, and they want to play because they want to have a big year. If they have a big year, they can end up getting a big contract. There's different reasons why players want to play, obviously, but the biggest reason being is they're they're wired differently than you and I. They are incredible competitors. Brendan Gallagher said at the end of the year, and, and we'll use this as an example, and I'm wondering if there's any way that we can actually fix this issue uh, so that it doesn't happen with the Canadians and it doesn't happen with other teams. I don't know if we can, but let me get to my question. Brendan Gallagher said at the end of the year, I was injured and I basically hid the injury and I played through pain. Hmm. And, you know, I ended up getting re-injured and I learned my lesson and I'm not going to do it again. I would imagine that's not the first time that has happened. It's happened. But what, you know, what are some of the things that players can be told or some of the practices that can be put in? So something like this, maybe not be eliminated, but at least uh, minimalized. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a deep and challenging question because it 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 speaks to you know all the players in in the process and and when I say players I mean individuals who are touching the problem because you have the player first and foremost whose life this is and their career and how they make their living etc and to your point they have to make decisions on a lot of different things that even the the therapy staff and the performance staff might not even be aware of or know are going on so the players dealing with their own set of um concerns they have a certain kind of relationship with the coaching staff and management uh, organization and where they sit in the hierarchy and you know future contracting and things so there's a lot of you know things going on and and it's not an easy problem to solve i think those problems at the end of the day they come down to true trust 
oriented relationships in the inside of the of the dressing room and does the player trust the people around him to do the do right by them to some degree there's an inherent distrust of the people or hired by the organization simply because they are hired by the organization and so when you are in the organization it's you have to double down on your behaviors that infer trust in the athlete. Um, and when you say see something like Craig Reve's comment about Graham, uh, his comment comes from the heart because, you know, he trusted Graham as an individual to, to do right by him. Of course. But at the same time, you know, the problem becomes the therapy staff have this double-edged sword. They, they have to build trust in the athletes. They have to build trust in their coaching staff. They have to build trust in management and they have these competing interests to a degree. They have the interest of winning in the, in the moment because winning matters. It matters to everybody external of the organization and internal. They have to, they have to do right by the athlete. And they also don't always have all the information to your point. If I don't know the case with Brendan, but if Brendan's holding information away from the therapist, they can only make decisions based on what they understand or that the athlete actually provides them with. But at the end of the day, the, the athlete has to feel a sense that they can trust that they that 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 this is not going to cost them their career. And at, and at times that's that requires a maturation process that athletes have to go through. They have to experience it, recognize it and rec and understand that the injury isn't the thing that that necessarily knocks them out of the game. It's it's how they manage it and how they return from it and how they bring themselves back from it. And so I don't think I've ever seen or heard, to my knowledge, a, a single injury situation where an athlete has been injured, was out for a while, came back, and then was summarily moved to another organization or, or lost their contract, unless they really their performance really depreciated. And so at the end of the day, their best interest is to take care of themselves, do right by themselves and make sure they're ready when they do come back so that they can. And that's what the teams, the performance organizations job is uh -huh. return to play is return to play and don't come back with that injury. <laughs> that's the key to it. Yeah. Right? A shout out to Murphy Clinic, an aesthetic clinic specializing in medical aesthetic care. Uh, they offer permanent laser hair removal as well as a wide range of treatments for skin problems such as acne, rosacea, fine lines, and more. They currently have two clinics, one located in Montreal Shop Angus and the second on the North Shore in Terrebonne. They're also opening soon in Quebec City. Visit murphyclinic.ca or on Instagram at murphyclinic. I want to say hello to Pamela and her staff because my wife was actually there for treatment earlier today. Uh, okay, uh, I want to ask you about uh, a diagnosis, all right? And to educate me on this as to, is it easy to get a diagnosis wrong? And once again, there was a case with the Montreal Canadiens, and this was with, uh, and I, I, I hate to keep on bringing up the Canadiens, but since we're here in Montreal and I'm aware of these issues, I'm sure they happen with other teams as well. So let me get that out of the way. But Sean Monaghan had hurt his foot it took a while to diagnose the extent of the injury based on what we're hearing. There was a compensation that took place and the foot injury went from a foot injury to a groin injury. And then he was out for an extended period of time. So please educate me on this. Is it easy to have a wrong diagnosis 
of something. I mean, it's it's a little bit mind-boggling to me. We can put people on the moon. We can take a little drone and and with a remote control, fly it like 18 kilometers over a bunch of people's houses and land on somebody's deck in their backyard. You would think with the technology that we have and the information that we have, as long as we take all the right information, we won't screw up a diagnosis or is it more complex than that? Yeah, it's more complex than that. And, and, uh, and I, I figured won't, it was, I won't comment on the, on this, these circumstances because I know nothing about them, but Got it. fundamentally we use, um, there is the, the medical assessment that starts most of the time with a therapist looking at the injury, then they uh, then bring a doctor and a physician in and that physician, um, triage goes from probably your internist to, to your specialist and you might have an orthopod look at it and then they're going to order a series of, of tests whether that's x-rays MRIs, ct scans etc and all of these things are fallible just like any other thing in this world is fallible um, sometimes uh, fractures as an example don't show up on certain tests at certain points in there in the fracture continuum so uh, an example, and I'm not as well versed in, and certainly don't want to comment on this injury, but uh -huh. um, wrist injuries are notorious for that. Uh, some of the bones in the wrist, you can have a fracture of your scaphoid and, and not see it um, for you know several weeks before another scan or, or an x-ray will show it will show up. So what can happen is, you know, in the immediate moment of the injury, they could go to the hospital, be x-rayed or scanned and, and everything look you know, other than some soft tissue, fine. And so everybody operates on that framework. And so everybody's working as an example on this is a contusion when in the background there's a fracture there. And, and so everybody's working on that continuum and a contusion should operate or change in this direction and go through this sort of call it a process of healing and we should be out for this amount of time and everybody has kind of ballpark understandings of these injuries after doing them so many or running them through so many times then usually what characteristically starts to happen is things that you expected to have happen don't don't necessarily happen or they're not moving as quickly as they should and take into in consideration that you know, is the player doing all the things they're supposed to do? Is the Has the player done something outside uh, and not necessarily told the team about what they did, i.e., um, I forget what the name the, of the defenseman was who played for the Habs way back in the day who was a Russian who had gone, you know, had an injury uh, to his knee or something and went skiing and then re-injured. Malakoff. Malakoff, exactly. Yeah. So you have things like this that are happening in the background that, that people aren't aware of. And so the guy yeah. comes in and he doesn't want to tell anybody that, you know, he did something stupid last night at the bar or he did something stupid somewhere else. So all these factors are in there somewhere as well. And then eventually because it's not healing or it's not going the way you should, it should go more scans are done, more tests are done. And then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, we have this problem, but maybe in that time, you know, some other injury has happened because you've tried to push things or done things. Yeah. So the the long story answer to your short question is, yeah, it is complicated and it's yeah. not always a perfect system. You hope that you don't have, you have less of those and more of the ones where you are on top of it. And that's why you've got to have constant communication. You've got to have constant reflection and you've got to work with your entire staff has to work together on 
are we moving forward in the right at the right speed or not here, guys? Yeah. Not, what do we need to look at? Uh, Ron Roosh would say, who was an expert with Russian pronunciations, he would say it would be Malahov, Malahov. and not Malakov, like it would be Kornikova instead of Kornikova and Sharapova instead of Sharapova. So uh, let's let's just say Malahov. Okay. Uh, look, let's just say uh, a sports science and medicine department would, would, would be something like in that department, you would have a head physio the way the Canadians did, who unfortunately was relieved of his duties yesterday. You would have a uh, head athletic therapist, which they did, who unfortunately he was also relieved of his duties, would have a strength and conditioning coach, would have so many other people with, within different um, uh, specializations and also have a team of doctors, a team of physicians, all right? And everyone is supposed to work together and work in unison. But sometimes athletes, be it with the Canadians or with other teams, if they have to have a surgery, they choose to go elsewhere and get operated by someone else outside the organization, someone else who's not a team doctor. Um, it, when that happens, is it, is it concerning? Or is it normal? Because I, for, I'll give you an example. Soccer players, if they tear an ACL, like a, a lot of European soccer players will actually, I believe they go to Pittsburgh and there's a specialist there who does ACL surgeries and maybe they have a certain technique that they do that they don't do in Europe and stuff like that. It's par for the course when we talk about European sports, but in North American sports, is it also, is it, is it, is it totally normal? Or, or, or it, it, is it somewhat concerning? Is it something that you would... Uh, if it was up to you, Scott Livingston, would you say is okay or would you say I'd rather things be done in-house? Uh, it's pretty normal. It's kind of uh, uh, standard, um, standardized in some sense now that the, okay. orga the organization will always have its principal players to support the needs of the players, whether – and it'll have varying specialists. And one must understand that, you know, most orthopedic surgeons kind of specialize in areas. So you have guys who are knees, you have guys who are shoulders, you have guys who are back specialists, et cetera, wrist specialists. And you may have um, certain of those available or not available on your speed dial right away or, you know, a couple steps away, et cetera. Usually you can refer to them very quickly and, and get their viewpoint on something. But not all of those Specialists will agree to the same surgical intervention, the same protocols, the same strategy. I mean, you can these days, as an example, with an ACL, there are a myriad of ways to repair an ACL. And each orthopedic surgeon will tell you that the way that they do it is probably better than another way. And there's some research that supports it, some of it's intuitive. So what ends up happening is the player, along with their agent, obviously it's their body, their, their uh, career, where they want to go, they'll usually get a second opinion from the organizational opinion. It's not unusual at all. And then again, it comes back to sort of a trust centric equation. Um, sometimes it's going to be, is the, you know, is the rehab going to be done at this other place institution? Um, and again, that's why it's so important with these um, organizations to have a really top notch culture and performance uh, design in terms of the the people you have in your space, how you deliver, you know, your 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 services, um, so that the players when they are in it perceive that it's the best. 
And if they perceive it's the best, then yeah. their likelihood to look elsewhere is going to be diminished. If they don't perceive it's the best, then their their immediate concern is, I got to make sure I'm being taken care of properly. So the evolution of sports science and medicine departments, how does the National Hockey League, and I don't even know if you can answer this question, but I'll ask it anyway. How does it fare compared to other professional sports leagues around the world and for someone on the outside like yourself who used to be on the inside but now is more so on the outside you don't work for a pro sports team mm-hmm. um do you believe that a lot of teams still have older practices that are not very technologically advanced yeah it's um well first of all i think the uh, to your first question i think the nhl is, is um probably a step or so or two behind some sports um certainly the nfl and pro basketball i would say are a little bit more uh, ahead um why football. why is it menta- is it a mentality thing is it is it is it yeah i, I think there's probably the um I think you see in pro basketball and, and pro football kind of the, I would say the NCAA um, athlete development model and the institutional um, framework of how athletes are taken care of kind of um, perpetuates itself up into pro sport because that's how they were taken care of at, at you know, Clemson or, uh, you, you know, Miami or whatever university. And so there's kind of always, yeah. been, well, a better better sort of be a step up if we're going to have it in in the NFL. I think there's a, a lot of money in those uh, leagues uh-huh. as well, comparatively. Um, the NHL, I think there's always been a little bit more of an old school uh, environment and, and a little bit slower to change. Um, and typically what happens at the beginning of these things is you have sort of people looking around and going, well, this team got this. Why do they have that? Well, we better probably get that. And so then along the house Re- renovation concept I was talking about before you see them start to add these pieces in but not necessarily cl- clearly understand how they all work together or what's more important or what's less important at different times or even how the acumen is like you you say the word physical therapist that's a that's a blank statement word for a certain kind of practitioner those professionals can have huge bags of of tools and skills or minimal bags of tools and skills. They can be exceptionally good. They can be not not as great. They can have really good skills in certain areas and less in others. So understanding what your, the gaps in your, your team are where you need to have skills that the athletes are now looking for or expecting when they come in and, and, and would expect the people that they they engage privately, have these skills. So the people in the room should have these skills. These are things that have to always be moved forward. So again, what you need to have beyond just hiring people is you have to have a plan for improving them over time. So mm-hmm. you, you don't just see, you don't just hire the professional and go, okay, good. We've got a X and they're going to be fine for the next 15, 20 years. No, you say you hire that person and then you say, how are we going to keep you at the top of your game for the next 25 years until you decide you're going to retire and everybody else around you? So we are the best organization going. Um, that's not necessarily typical in, in any performance sport. It's getting 
better and there are people leading that uh, but it's still you know we're still at the front end of mm -hmm. uh, of this world of change to be honest with you you're probably not going to give away all your trade secrets and i don't blame you you're probably not going to show your entire game plan to somebody else and i don't blame you um but at the same time what information can you give me more so than what you gave me already which is a lot by the way if you were brought in to set up a sports science and medicine department how could you map it out for me like like very very basic very simplistic what would it look like if you were to draw a picture for me well i think you, you want to have a, a conversation about what what does um a that organization's player personnel look like what are the dimensions of the athletes you have and what's the game plan vis-a-vis -vis how you want to play the game and what are the expectations around that then you've got to look at who's who's who in the zoo already and recognize where and, and do a gap analysis on your professionals that you have in the space um and and what you're trying to do is build two things one is a cultural dynamic and the other one is an in intellectual dynamic. So you have to look at what are the cultural gaps right now that we have? Like, how is it that everybody works together or doesn't work together? And why are they not working together or are they working together? But you also have to look at what are the technical intellectual gaps? Are we missing this acumen? Do we need this kind of practitioner? And lastly, you you always have to work on those and, and, and assess those human dynamic skills because at the end of the day, the success of all of this stuff is knowing the people who are who you're servicing, knowing your athletes, knowing what makes them tick, knowing how they train, knowing how you can get the best out of them, knowing how you support them. So you've got to get again, look at your gap analysis of your entire player equation, because those are your player assets. You want to know how you're going to fix those things, which which things are most important or not or less important with each player and understand with the coaching staff what they're trying to achieve so you've got a lot of moving pieces but starting point is to do a full analysis of who's who in the zoo what what everybody needs to do and can do how do you want to operate your 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 fabric of your culture and then what's missing so you replace or fix or add or change what's missing so you have you have all the principal pieces and then you you orchestrate it and manage it over time. Scott Livingston, once upon a time, like I mentioned, you were the lead strength and conditioning coach for the Montreal Canadiens and the assistant athletic therapist. A very prestigious position within a very prestigious organization playing in a very prestigious sports league around the world. It's a dream job for many. It's a job that not many people walk away from. You did so after eight years to embark on what was another extremely rewarding position as owner of reconditioninghq.com, which you run with your wife. And still today, you work with professional athletes. You work with amateur athletes. You have worked with a lot of Canadian Olympians, and it's been incredibly rewarding for you, especially to see some of the athletes that you work with not only go to the Olympics, come back with a medal, many of which being gold. Mm -hmm. So now you've done that for several years after being with the Canadians for eight years. It's not why I got you on, 
But after everything you told me about, you know your stuff. And so I have to ask you, do you miss it? Do you miss what you used to do with the Montreal Canadiens? Um, I don't miss what I used to do with the Montreal Canadiens because um, I've done that for 30 plus years. But um, some of what I got to do when I left the Montreal Canadiens was effectively do what we've been talking about with Olympic athletes. I was uh, mm -hmm. blessed to get to work with a foundation called B210, supported a number of Olympians and really built performance teams around these Olympic projects. And effectively, you know, what I had just summarized around was what we did together as an organization around, you know, the Scott Moyers and Tessa Virtues, the Jen Hiles, the Alex Bilodeaux, the Mick Kingsbury, et cetera, building these performance groups and, you know, how do you integrate a mental performance practitioner? Where do you bring in the therapist? When do you bring in the strength conditioning coach? How do you, how does everybody work together? That's what I, I've done since 2009 when I left along with teaching how I do that. And so I, I, I miss the um, camaraderie of the room. It was funny to see Craig's um, or not funny, but uh, you know, ironic to see Craig's um, tweet because he was a guy I, I, I loved spending yeah. time with in the room and Saku and Shelly and all the guys that yeah. I was blessed to work with at the time. I missed that. I missed that camaraderie. I missed that team sensitivity. And I miss to some degree, the, the opportunity every year to see whether you could hoist that Stanley cup. And every year you watch somebody like uh, we watched yesterday, pick it up and you go, yeah. well, I, I wonder if I, that could have been me, but uh, yeah. And, and a name that you didn't mention, which was some of your best work, by the way, was Andre Markov who returned after two ACL surgeries and at an advanced age in his career. And after those surgeries, still was the defenseman that he used to be, but even before his first surgery, which was absolutely remarkable. I mean, the job you did with Markov was incredible. Okay. So let me ask it a different way. If you can take everything you've learned over the years and everything you've been doing with reconditioning HQ and all these athletes and have the opportunity to build a performance team and set up a, a, a huge sports science and medicine department with a pro sports team, would you welcome that opportunity? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would love to do something like that. I mean, um, I've I've put feelers out in different places over the years, um, and I completely and thoroughly enjoy what I do now. But the opportunity to um, uh, prove prove a certain strategy and approach would work, and and to some degree do what a Jay Millette has done um, is is something at at my age and, and experience level would be a, a, an interesting and fun challenge for sure. Awesome stuff. How can people get a hold of you? It's reconditioninghq.com? Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram at King O'Pain, and um, they can also PM me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm pretty pretty out there because I also have a podcast called Leave Your Mark. Yeah, go <laughs> for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm all for, by the way, uh, podcasts helping other podcasts out. So go for it. Yeah, talk about it. Well, I've had a podcast for uh, six years now, and uh, it basically I interview uh, all kinds of people in human performance and go, you know, walk through their life, life and career and sort of and pull threads like we've talked about tonight on, you know, how this world of human performance is always changing and seeing, you know, how it can get better and be better. So that's uh, that's called Leave Your Mark and it's on those all those streaming channels. And so 
would love to have more listeners out there too. Good. Scott, I knew absolutely nothing about what we were talking about today, but I feel a lot smarter now than I did going in. Thanks so much for educating me and enlightening me on this and all the best to you and yours. Thanks for reaching out to me. You're very welcome. We'll talk to you soon. All right, there you have it. Scott Livingston of ReconditioningHQ.com. Also a special shout out to the winner of the NHL bracket pool that we had. The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero's NHL bracket pool's winner is Johnny Antonacci. And what was the uh, the grand prize? Well, we said that we would give the winner the opportunity to actually co-host with me on the Sick Podcast. So, Johnny, we will be emailing you. We have your email address, obviously. We're going to get a hold of you, and we're going to get you on the show. So I very much look forward to that. Awesome stuff. Marinaro, once again, I want to thank our sponsors. Energy Transportation Group is one. Murphy Clinic is the other. La Bit ATB is the other. And, of course, Playground is the other. Thank you for all your support and helping me and Aniello and Sammy Cavallaro, as well as Juliana Cavallaro, bring you the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero live weeknights on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter at 10 p.m. Eastern. If you like the podcast tonight, like it, share it with your friends. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, please do so. It's absolutely free. Our Sick Army and Sick Community is growing each and every day. We are over 12,000 strong now on YouTube. And if you're going to listen to us from an audio perspective on Google, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. At least I'll appreciate it if you do, because it's my way of feeling that love that you have for me and for the Sick Podcast. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow night, same time, same place. Have a great night, everyone. For Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana, back at Master Control, they're Cavallaro. I'm Marinero. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. LaVita.tv. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.